Hello, and welcome to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. Today, we're talking about The Secret of My Success from 1987, starring Michael J. Fox and some other people, but mainly Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Hi, Holly. Hi, Sarah. Um, <laughs> good. I was thinking that I can't believe that it took us this long to do a Michael J. Fox movie, really. It is kind of incredible. I know. Like, he was, like, one of my all-time faves in the 80s. Definitely. Like, Alex P. Keaton. I love me some Alex P. Keaton. (laughs) The only Republican I've ever loved. (laughs) 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 Okay. I'm just kidding. I don't even know if that's true. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll just say that this movie was a listener suggestion. Yes. Yes. From a Patreon supporter. I guess I'm just going to say John. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he wants us to say his name. Mm -hmm. So, John, thank you for the suggestion. That's really great. And your other ones were great, too. Here we go. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, do you remember where you were the first time you saw The Secret to My Success? No, I don't remember a lot about the first time I saw it. I don't think I was with you. That's all I remember. (laughs) Well, I like I have a really vivid memory mm-hmm. of seeing this because it was one of the times that my parents decided it would be cool for me to babysit myself, even though I was like 10 years mm-hmm. old or something. And I watched The Secret to My Success. Mm. And I was really excited about it because Alex P. Keaton basically got a big job in New York. That's what I had in my head. I was, like, shocked when I realized that Michael J. Fox is not Alex P. Keaton. (laughs) He's an actor. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it was, like, one of the first times that I realized that actors are not the TV show characters that they play on TV. I mean, I knew that. Mm-hmm. But somehow, like, with him, I just thought, no, he's Alex, like. Yes. So. And I think that in this movie, he kind of is like Alex P. Keaton. I was thinking that while I was watching it. I was just like, this is just Alex P. Keaton in New York. He's just the cutest little thing. <laughs> no, you just want to, like, put him in your pocket. <laughs> when he's wearing his suit. Dude, oh, my God. I was dying. <laughs> adorable (laughs) so I was kind of shocked when I saw this uh, Mm -hmm. as a kid because I wasn't expecting Alex to be having sex with the boss's wife when it happened I was like like what is happening right now (laughs) like what would your parents think right now (laughs) It's so weird. When I was watching it, I was like, huh, maybe I was actually, like, more innocent than I think of myself as being. Because I remember, like, the points in this movie where I felt really shocked. Like, this is racy for Alex P. Keaton. (laughs) Where I don't really remember doing that with any other actors as a kid. Who else in the 80s was in, like, a lot of movies, though? I mean, like... The other person I think of that would be almost parallel would be, like, Michael Seaver, but he, like, doesn't compare from Growing Pains. Oh, right. Kurt Cameron wasn't even really in a lot of movies. 
Well, he is, but he's in um, uh, Christian movies. Oh, but in the 80s. Oh, yeah, he was in a movie, I think, with Dudley Moore, where they, like, change places or something. Am I dreaming this? I don't know. Is this a Mandala effect? Like like a Freaky Friday (laughs) with Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore. (laughs) I've got to look this up. Oh, my God. If this is a thing, we need to watch it. I gotta see this. I'll find out. (laughs) Do you want me to do the summary? Young man grew up in Kansas. His name's Brantley. He's gonna make it big. He's got the dreams of a yuppie. He's in the heartland of Kansas. His parents are good, hardy, farm stock people. And they taught him the values of hard work, economy, and perseverance. And he moves to the big city of Manhattan. And he gets a job in the mailroom of his uncle's company. His aunt seduces him. They're not actually related by blood, just to clarify. They're not related by blood. Okay, I didn't think so. (laughs) And like barely even related by marriage. (laughs) Okay. He has another love interest She's having an affair with the boss. They take over the company. They oust the jerk boss. And they save the day through hard work and empathy for the little guy. Exactly. The Midwestern values prevail. And that's the real secret to his success. Upon remembering this... I thought the secret to his success was that he was sleeping with the boss's wife. Because that's the only part I remembered. (laughs) So I was like happily surprised when I was watching it and going, oh, no, the secret is hard work. (laughs) Sleeping with the boss's wife didn't hurt, though, because it gave him the contacts to be able to make the big purchase at the end. So you have to do both. That's a good point. He uses his innocent charm to like endear himself to people and that helps him kind of get his foot in the door Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of nepotism but he had to use charm to get in there first to even get to see his quote-unquote uncle then he uses the midwestern values to like you said his empathy is what drives him to like try to save other people's jobs not just cutting jobs that way he comes up with like a whole other strategy that the corporate bigwigs weren't even thinking of. Exactly. And that's what allows him to save the company. I feel like the beginning of the criticism of the yuppie mm-hmm. is like about in 87. I feel like that's when we started getting flooded with movies that were saying, actually, this whole yuppie corporate lifestyle dream of Manhattan rat race stuff is out for myself. Gordon Gecko really Mm -hmm. um, is not actually where it's at and it's destroying our country. And so then we get this flood of movies. Uh, Baby boom is another one. And in that way, you know, these movies have a lot in common with Christmas movies. Like, I actually felt like you could have set, if you had set this movie, like, right around Christmas time, it would have just fit seamlessly in with Christmas movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. 
somebody deciding that being greedy and out for yourself is just not an option. Like in the early 80s, mid 80s, you're getting more movies that were like, look at the dream of the corporate Manhattan lifestyle. He fakes it till he makes it by creating his own job. Yeah. And he also goes with the flow. He goes with the stream, not against the stream, when he's interacting with people to get where he needs to go. I guess that's one thing that I forgot to mention was that he decides to create his own job and a new person altogether. He has this he has this corporate persona. He's also working in the mailroom as Brantley. He's like, oh, I'm going to take this office that's empty because they have layoffs because there's going to be a, a corporate buyout hostile takeover thing going on. And then he's like, I'm just going to take this office and I'm going to start doing the job that needs to be done in this company. But he's also still working in the mailroom, so he's constantly changing his clothes in the elevator. <laughs> yes. And everyone thinks that the elevator's broke all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like Michael J. Fox's sense of timing and his mm-hmm. ability to like exude boyish charm. Yeah. Is on full display here. Yes. He's always changing the elevator and then the one time, like when he gets a secretary, everyone gets their own secretary in this corporation. It's like, gosh, I what do they secretary. even do? I know. The secretary is doing everything, basically. Mm-hmm. But so she, like, he uses his connections in the mailroom to, like, send all these documents around to help support his case that he's actually been hired. So it helps him, like, fake his way. And then when his secretary arrives, she walks in and he's changing in his office because he was changing out of his mailroom clothes into his suit or something. And she sees him in his like little shorts. And she's just like, oh. and then he's like, I was, I was really hot. It's getting hot in here. And she's like, oh my. So that's her introduction to him. And then she sees him again later in mid changing in the elevator. And he's, they fix the elevator after he's already stopped it. So he's like pretty much in his boxers and a tie. And then the door opens and everyone's just standing there. So he does that pose, like the bodybuilder pose. <laughs> That's what I remember most from the movie and like the commercials and stuff, I think, too. <laughs> they find out that he's not who he said he was up at corporate. And the secretary's like, oh, he always had his pants off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so funny. I like working for him. He never wears pants. I love this secretary. She's hilarious. Uh, There's a Cindy Crawford sighting. Oh uh, my god. I know. Right in the beginning. And it's Mm -hmm. like they're just doing like a montage of beautiful New York women. And yeah, there's Cindy Crawford. I love her. (laughs) I just love her. I was so excited to see that. (laughs) She was like a baby. She was such a baby. Her hair was still, like, kind of short. and But she must have gotten really popular not long after that. I think, like, 1990 was maybe, like, the beginning Mm -hmm. of her rise. 
she's the best and she's from the midwest yeah well i mean we were inundated with supermodels so this was sort of like that montage i felt it was sort of like look what's coming america (laughs) the supermodel invasion what i was thinking about though when i was looking at the women in the movie is that they weren't just skinny skinny the 80s were not great (laughs) for Mm -hmm. women's body image (laughs) but (laughs) i think it was better than the 90s you know what going back and watching like will and grace and things like that you're right everyone was like insanely skinny in the 90s that what they were calling heroin chic that turned into like let's be a double zero in like the early aughts that aesthetic never appealed to me at all and i fortunately didn't strive for that and i think part of it might have been that i was implanted early enough with You know, I watched a lot of uh, old movies from the 50s and 60s. So I got a lot of like more voluptuous women images when I was a kid. And then I also, even the 80s, when you look at these models, they look healthy. And so when the super skinny came around, that didn't interest me as a aesthetic to strive for. Which is good, because I could never reach that aesthetic unless I was, like, sick or something. (laughs) Right. That's one of the other reasons that I really love Cindy Crawford is because she always looked healthy. Like, she managed to be one of the biggest supermodels, but still not have that look. And she had, like, the fitness video. I know I've talked about it before that I was, like, obsessed with getting it. Obviously, her body was, like, perfect and amazing and, like, hard to attain for normal people. But it was still – it was just, like, her natural body from – eating healthy and working out it looked like not from starving herself or making other people feel like they had to starve themselves you know that exercise video of course my mom bought it for me because she didn't want me to be fat but I did it religiously Mm -hmm. and it was very helpful for me and it was also appreciated that there was a woman who uh had a quote-unquote perfect body but mm-hmm. she was like, look, I work, I literally work my ass off to get this shape. Mm-hmm. And previous to that, and also like in the 90s, it was more, how can I glamorize being as unhealthy as possible and say that looks good? It's like that whole idea of whenever models will say or actresses will say, Oh, I never work out. And I just, you know, I just love a good cheeseburger. And they're like 90 pounds. And it's very clear that that's not what's going on. Like, I know some people really are that way. But most people aren't past the age of like 22 or something, you know. Like, you can get Mm -hmm. away with that as a teenager, maybe. But Mm -hmm. at some point, it catches up with you i listened to a podcast on this fucking victoria's secret angels crap and it's all connected to that epstein guy 
What? Yeah, I mean, you got to listen to this thing. What? It's called Fallen Angels. It is insane and it's all true. It's not like a conspiracy thing at all. Did you say Fallen Angels? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. Oh my God. Highly recommend it. Okay. But he got all of his money from the guy who owns the Limited and Victoria's Secret. Oh, wow. And isn't it interesting that in the late 90s, Victoria's Secret in particular started promoting a body type that looks suspiciously like 12-year-old girls with breast implants, which is exactly the kind of person that Epstein likes to sexually Mm -hmm. abuse. It'll blow your mind. But it made me think about why I was never attracted to that aesthetic. And when Victoria's Secret blew up with the Victoria's Secret Angels, and they would have those fashion shows every year. And I was always like, this is fucked up. But I was thinking about like, why is it that I wasn't susceptible to that? That's good. I was, I wanted to look like that. Do you feel like you, your desired body followed the trend of what you were being presented with in the media? Probably. I mean, I always wanted bigger boobs and I like, I think I even like thought about getting breast implants, but I think I threw it. I I knew I would never really do it, but I like definitely thought about it. And I was always really self-conscious that I didn't have like a tiny body with huge boobs or at least big boobs. Mm Mm-hmm. I was, like, obsessed with getting bigger boobs for a long time. And then finally I was just like, hmm. And then later I gained some weight and then I actually got, like, some boobs. And I was like, okay. I think I was very, I guess I would say susceptible to that, yes. I'm blown away, but I'm not blown away. When we were kids, I was a chubby bubby. And you were super thin. Mm -hmm. And I always thought... Oh, I bet Sarah never has any body issue stuff because she's so thin. Like, that must be really cool to be so thin because you don't have your mom nagging you about it. You don't have your brother calling you fat. You don't have, you know, really, those are the only two people that bullied me about my weight. But it's mm. it's my mom and my brother. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> um, and... I just assumed you would be somebody who lucked out and didn't have any body issues. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) No, they were there. So once again, even when you fit closely to the ideal Mm, of the time, (laughs) you still Mm -hmm. have these body issues. Yeah. So you can't win Mm -mm. except to step outside and deprogram yourself from cultural norms that have nothing to do with you and have everything to do with selling you some bullshit. That's not going to work. Exactly. This sounds like (laughs) the speech that Michael Keaton, I mean, (laughs) Alex, Alex Keaton, Michael J. Fox, Brantley, Gave in the movie. (laughs) 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 To um, Aunt Vera. Yeah. Which was a beautiful speech. He gave her two beautiful speeches that made her fall 
in lust with him. Mm-hmm. So yes, the women in this movie are like pretty healthy. They're always wearing like a lot of clothing, like full 80s suits. They're not dressed skimpy. You see Aunt Vera in like a bikini, but it's like a sporty bikini. And she has an athletic body. Um, so basically, like we first meet Aunt Vera when she's being driven by Brantley after she's had like a day of shopping. He, because he works in the mailroom, he gets assigned to like drive her home or out to their country home. And then she's just like being very rude to him. And just, then she complains about her husband and saying like, oh, I wonder who he's sleeping with now. And then she's just basically saying like, I'm sure it's a teenager or someone really young and I'm too old for him. And then Brantley's like, oh, well, when I'm his age, I hope I can wake up to a woman as beautiful as you, no matter what age you are or whatever. And then she's like, and then the Ferris Bueller music starts playing. And it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> And she's like, oh, yeah. And she gets out her <laughs> lipstick and starts putting on her lipstick and perfume and getting all hot and bothered. And she's like, I'm going to bed this boy when I get home. <laughs> he, actually, he actually, it's funny because I wrote down a quote from that. I, I He says, Brantley says, to Vera, someone sold you a bill of goods and convinced you you had to be 21 forever. That's bullshit. And That's I thought, best. how funny, because the someones that convinced you of that are fucking Hollywood. <laughs> Again, I feel like 1987, it seems like the year that Hollywood started looking at itself. You know that movie, Wall Street? Gordon Gekko, uh-huh. Everyone's favorite malignant narcissist. <laughs> Oliver Stone, everyone's least favorite malignant narcissist. <laughs> Hashtag Oliver Stone. Wall Street still made that cutthroat corporate raider image attractive. Mm-hmm. Even as it was like condemning it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a knack of Oliver Stone. He always says, oh, I'm making this movie against this thing. And it's like, really? Because it looks like you're making the movie for the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and the lips thing. Okay. There's a lot of lip close-ups in this movie. There are. Clearly, Brantley is a lip guy. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) It's because every other part of their body is, like, drenched in rayon (laughs) shoulder pads. So all you can see are their lips. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> Did I just see an ankle? <laughs> <laughs> so when he meets the love of his life, Christy, she's an executive at the company where he's in the mailroom pretending to be an executive, and he sees her. He's at the drinking fountain, and mm-hmm. then she comes up and she's like, May I? And then he's like, sure. And then he just stands there and watches her like, <laughs> drinking <know>. <laughs> Just like so uncomfortable. <laughs> he looks like he's never seen a girl in real life before. Not a girl like that. <laughs> Not lips like that. It's just like, okay, I would ask him to leave, you know. Yeah. yeah. Only Michael J. Fox could get away with a creepy move like that. Maybe River Phoenix could get away with. That. Oh, well, God, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Yes, River Phoenix could get away with anything. <laughs> yeah, so then he like falls in love with her as he watches her sip water and he has this vision of her in like the ultimate 80s gown <clears throat> walking through the lobby of the building with the ultimate 80s music playing in the background and she's slowly walking towards him and he's like this is it I'm in love and then he just keeps like fantasizing about her in all these different places in the building and the most cheesy music is playing <laughs> I forgot to look up who sings it who does the soundtrack I don't need so 80s cheesy and it's like <laughs> then the same song comes on like every time he sees her like throughout the movie is that an 80s thing does that still yeah. happen where they have like the theme song of the person that plays each time they appear on screen I don't really notice that anymore I don't either but it was like all the time in the 80s it was mm-hmm. like everybody had their own theme song yeah it's true Maybe it's because, you know, that actually runs simultaneously with having your own private portable music station. So everyone could literally have their own theme song. Oh, when the Walkman came out? Yeah, and also carrying the boombox on your shoulder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's like a reflection of real life in a maybe interesting speaking of boom boxes yeah i this is kind of out of place but at the beginning after brantley gets to new york he's talking to his mom on the phone in a pay booth i'm sorry Mm -hmm. in a phone booth i forgot what it was called uh and of course, you see the 80s ubiquitous black guy with the boombox walk by. And his mom's like, are you safe there? And then a robbery goes down. Mm-hmm. And there's like a shootout right there. And Brantley's like, oh, the TV's louder, you know. But I was like... This is another time in the 80s movie where we get black people, black men associated with boomboxes and violence. Even this movie, which is like really progressive to women, Mm -hmm. is still including the black gang member is dangerous propaganda machine. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, even in this movie, the one thing I will say, though, is that one of the robbers was a white guy. So there was a white guy and a black guy that were robbers. Mm -hmm. Also, there was a comment at the beginning of the movie when he was doing an interview. And the woman was like, oh, you know, you're actually perfect for the job, except that you're not a black woman. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? Did we need that? (laughs) No. Do we need to hear that affirmative action is bullshit when clearly you guys don't understand what it is? Mm Mm-hmm. And I... That's true. It made me think of my... All of the racist comments my relatives made about affirmative action Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And I was just like, ugh. 
So it's kind of weird because those were two things that happened at the beginning of the movie. So I was like, oh, is this going to be like weird? But then after that, it was like back to being a friendly movie, I guess. I noticed it too. <laughs> it's, um, I guess, just a, a relic of the times. It gives you a little bit of perspective of how some people are thinking now that white supremacy is okay. Because, mm. you know, they grew up in the culture, too. Mm-hmm. And they didn't notice that. They just heard it and went, oh, okay. That's uh-huh. how it is. Mm-hmm. Where we heard it and our little hearts got fluttered and we went, that's gross. <laughs> in the beginning, like, when he first gets to New York, he has his job lined up already. So he's telling his parents, like, they're they're worried about him leaving Kansas. And, you know, they're like, the city will eat you alive. And he's like, no, I'm going to make it. I'm going to come back on a private jet and pick you up. And then his mom hands him a number. And she's like, just in case, here's the number for your Uncle Howard. And he's like, who's Uncle Howard? And then she explains how they're like distantly related. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to need it. And then he gets there and the job he had lined up, the company has just had like a hostile takeover. So they're closing up. And as soon as he walks in, they're like, you're fired. (laughs) So he's like, oh, God, now what do I do? And then he just goes out and like hits the streets and gets a bunch of other interviews, but nothing's working out. And then that's when that encounter happens where the woman's like, sorry, you're perfect, but you're not a minority woman. So you can't have it. And um, he's just like striking out left and right. So it's like, you're rooting for him because he's from a small town, but then it's also like, oh, the well-educated white man can't find a job. Like, that's so sad. (laughs) That's exactly what that was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But then through nepotism, he does get a job. It's not the job he's looking for, but it does get him in there. So like vague distant nepotism and um everyone's like you don't have experience whatever and he's like how can i get experience if you don't give me a job and all of that so when he finally gets to his uncle and he gives him the whole speech his uncle's still not buying it and then finally he's just like don't you remember when you were young and starting out and you knew you could do anything if someone would just give you a chance and then that like pulls out his uncle's heartstrings so he's like okay, I'll give you a job, but he just gets one in the mailroom. And then later we find out his uncle got the job because he's married to like the former president of the company's daughter. So it's like he didn't even get there from his own hard work or anything else. It's Aunt Vera's company. Yeah, it's really her company. (laughs) And it's like, why is her husband running it? Because it was still, so it's 87. They're probably like in their 40s. So she was probably like college age in the 60s. So then there's no way that dad would have given the company to her. Absolutely not. So she might have gone to college, but like probably just for like to try to get her MRS degree or like finishing school or something, you Mm -hmm. know, with no real plans of having a job. So even though she could have been capable of running the company, she couldn't because of the time she was born and raised in. And so she had to marry some asshole and then let him take over the company and then he runs it into the ground 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ran their marriage into the ground. Yeah. So it's like, well, once Brantley comes in and then all of this happens and she helps introduce him to people that give him more financial connections, like we said, that help him eventually take over the company, then it looks like she's going to take a more active role in the company too at the end. Because it's like ushering in a new era. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And she realizes that she's smart enough. Mm-hmm. That she's actually smarter than the people she's been trusting. I guess it's like they were caught in a time where it's like caught between two worlds mm-hmm. of growing up with these values of like marriage and family, and that you need to put like your family first and you need to get married and have a child. And have a stable job. And this is the way things are done. But then you have this like culture clash. In the late 60s. And then into the 70s. And then you finally get to the 80s. But what's happened in between is that. The people that grew up thinking they had to do that. They went ahead and did that. When they were like 21. 22 years old. And then the 70s hit. And it's like, there people are being shown that you don't have to have this family life. There's all these other ways of living your life that don't involve the one way your parent told you you had to do it. And it's like rejecting their parents' values, right, in the 70s. And then the 80s come back around and all of a sudden the other people are like clinging to family values and being conservative. I don't know. I'm just working this out for myself right now. Yeah. um, I'm not really sure if that even made any sense, but because I'm sort of mulling it over. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you think about that? I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I can add anything. (laughs) I don't sound like I'm randomly picking up words out of thin air. (laughs) Mm -mm. no it all sounded well reasoned okay (laughs) (laughs) the person that michael j fox falls in love with while she's drinking from the water fountain it turns out that while michael j fox brantley is sleeping with aunt vera his crush is sleeping with aunt vera's husband howard they have like an office romance that started and then later they're all at the country house together um for some big meeting and they had like an executive getaway weekend there and then they're all trying to like get into each other's bedrooms in the middle of the night because all four of them are staying in the same house and then it ends up where michael j fox or brantley (laughs) is in bed with howard because howard thinks that (laughs) he's getting into bed with christy and then you know it's like a bunch of hijinks i feel like that scene went on too long where they were like all running around the house switching rooms and stuff Oh, it was getting a little yeah. like three stooges-y or something. <laughs> yeah. And that song was playing the whole time. Um, but then so Aunt Vera walks in and finds Howard and Brantley in bed together, and she's like, All right, the sexual revolution's over. Everyone get out of bed. <laughs> that sums up the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sums up the 80s, Cole. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And okay. I felt I, you know, you're saying like, we're really skipping around. And when I'm thinking about this movie, it's like a weird jumbled timeline. And I'm like, why is that? And I think it's because of how many montages there are. Mm -hmm. Like there's like three or four. I mean, I guess I sort of consider that like a montage, even though it's not really, but it's like, yeah, the way it's, the way it's edited, it feels very montage-y. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, thinking about montages because <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought working hard at something when you were an adult or a teenager or whatever, I thought being an adult, working hard was just, like, a movie montage that would happen and then the job would be done. So when I got a little older and I started to, like, you know, have to do something that was, like, an actual, like, project that was of any difficulty, mm-hmm. um, I felt like, why isn't this going faster? <laughs> Did you have the right music playing in the background? I think that might have been the problem. That's the problem if you didn't. That's the key to any good montage (laughs) or any project that you're doing. It was just (laughs) like, I mean, and then at like one point, you know, I was like in high school when I realized like, wait a second. I was like overly influenced by movie montages as a kid. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's That's like hilarious. I think we already knew that but the fact that you really thought work could happen in the way that montages happen is so funny I didn't I, know that about you I, I really thought you could just like I didn't like I mean I I leaped over a few steps there in my mm-hmm. thought process but I feel like I really did like when I would get into doing something where it was like this is a, a project I'm working on and I got an end goal that after like an hour I would be like, wait a second. Like, I could, like, see the images of the montage in my mm-hmm. head of, like, me working in oh this montage, God. and then the project would be complete. And I, I would... I to tell you something. Yeah. Now that you're saying this, mm-hmm. it's, like, hitting home for me. <laughs> I think I've been a victim of the same <laughs> Because Dan will always laugh at me because I'll have this like project in mind and I'll be like, I'm going to whatever, whatever, whatever. And then we'll be done. And he was like, it's not going to happen that fast. And I'm just like, yeah, it is. Why not? All I have to do is this, 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 you know, and I'm like, it's going to be wrapped up in a neat bow. And then I get into it and I'm like, damn. Yeah. Actually, that happened to me just last night when I was trying to make this new pod recording setup. Cause I finally moved out of the closet and then I bought these curtains and I'm like, I'm going to hang these curtains to make like a divider. And then I was like, bought this shower curtain rod that's curved. <laughs> and I'm like, this will make like a nice corner unit thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like putting it together and then it doesn't fit on the wall. Right. And then I'm like, okay, well I'm just going to hang these curtains on like some twine that I have. <laughs> I didn't have anything else. I'm like hammering in nails and stringing up twine and of course it's not strong enough so they're all drooping and the curtains are just like hanging here and I'm just like why did I think 
that I could do this in like, you know, an hour. I Before. guess I did, but it <laughs> didn't get done properly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a montage victim too. I am <laughs> sorry that you are also suffering from the same condition. <laughs> as me <laughs> but i also feel relieved <laughs> cuz i was like am i just like really immature <laughs> you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like maybe there's like yeah i just wasn't sure but now that i know you have it too i feel a lot better about it cuz you're like a fully functioning adult person so sometimes <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know I had it until you brought it up. Thank you. I mean, I feel like it needs to go on the DSM. <laughs> um, I'm going to get to work on that. <laughs> this is so legit. Next revision. We're going to submit this. <laughs> this guy Davenport's going to take over the company. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, he's the dad on the Munsters. Uh, so I, I had, I had a really hard time finding him threatening in any way. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's the dad from the monsters. Oh yeah. Cause when the first, when the credits were first rolling, I saw the name Fred Gwynn and I remember that was his name. And I was like, Herman monsters in this. And then I kept waiting and waiting for him. And I was like, oh, he must be the, the takeover guy. Yeah. But did he you buy? To see him till the end. Did did mm-hmm. Davenport also take over the company at the beginning of the movie that was going out of business, or that yeah. was uh, where he lost his job? So he also. So not only did Brantley save his company and create more jobs for the people that worked for his company, but he also defeated a man who profits off of putting people out of work. Hey, Sarah. (laughs) What? Why don't you smile? Oh, no. Do you remember when he did that? You say that to Christy. I think I blocked it out. It was actually just like a random woman. Uh, whenever he creates his own job, he like was interacting with somebody in the o- a woman in the office, and then at the end of the interaction, he goes smile, mm. and she does. And I was like, I wanted to ask you about what your experiences are as a woman being told to smile by um, random men, yeah, in public that you don't know. Do you have any experience? I've had a lot of experience with it, (laughs) probably more than most people, because I have a look on my face that looks like I'm angry a lot of the time, (laughs) even when I'm not. And it's been that way for most of my life. And so I've always been told to smile from childhood through adulthood. I've never enjoyed it, and it's never made me smile. So (laughs) stop telling people that. Who's ever actually gotten a genuine smile from someone telling them to smile? I don't know. <laughs> if you're out there, <laughs> right to <laughs> Yeah. Honestly, you know what happened recently? I was walking into Walmart, which I try not to go there, but I was walking into Walmart. And I swear to God, I had my mask on. And there was this guy in the parking lot and he was sitting there smoking and he was like, smile or something. And I was like, 
wow, even with my mask on, so I'm not smiling. I was hoping the mask would like help hide a lot, but apparently not enough. Did you tell him that you would smile when he quit smoking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't like it. I never liked it. I guess it's well intended, but it's just like, I don't really need to smile for you. And I'll Mm -hmm. smile when I want to. And mind your own business. And maybe I just got really bad news. You don't know. What if I just found out that, like, my dog died and then you're telling me to smile and it's like inappropriate? Because you don't know the context of my scowl. Exactly. So just walk on by and smile <laughs> yourself. Yeah. But if um, Brantley told me to smile, I probably would, though. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> He's the exception. So yeah. if either Michael J. Fox or River Phoenix told mm-hmm. you to smile randomly in public, you'd be totally cool with it. Yes. I mean, I, that's valid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Has this happened to you? Because I feel like you're like a more generally calm or cheery person. So does this happen to you? My mom always made sure that you present yourself a certain way in public. Mm-hmm. And part of that presentation is being... Meaning that you have a friendly face (laughs) and you train yourself to have a friendly face. So the first training of smile, whether you like it or not, was from my mom. Now, that's a double edged sword, I suppose. But in a lot of ways, it's really uh, benefited me. And actually, you know, I smile all the time on my own starting in college after I read research that smiling actually makes you be in a better mood just by the act of smiling. Mm. So I thought, well, I'm in a terrible mood all the time. uh, So I'm going to start smiling all the time and see what happens. And Mm. I actually do think it works personally. Now, that being said, there have been plenty of times that I have been told to smile by men. The place that I would always get it. So I used to work at Union Station, which is an old train station. That got turned into the mall. Is that where you worked at the silver stand? Uh, I worked there first and then I moved over to the Galleria later. Okay. Um, So I worked at two totally different malls, which was really cool. So you're out in the middle. So I have a kiosk. It's got sterling silver jewelry. And Mm -hmm. you sit there in a chair and everybody's walking by in the hallway. And... If it wasn't busy, I could study. My boss was totally cool. He's like, study away, you know? As long as everything's, like, done, I don't care what you do. It was great. So I'd I'd be studying. And it was like, I would get the, why don't you smile? Mostly when I was reading a freaking book for school. (laughs) Or, like, (laughs) writing something, like, for my class. Mm -hmm. So I was like... Well, this is interesting because really what it's telling me is that I'm a girl and you need me to validate you in some like masculinity area that you're having 
insecurities with. Like Mm -hmm. you're insecure in your masculinity and in your ability to captivate (laughs) the female of the species. (laughs) And so you have to interrupt my studies Mm -hmm. to tell me to smile because you're entitled to my time and energy, even though I've never met you before in my life. Right. Have I said that in a similar way to the men who tell me to smile? Yes, I have. Although a couple of times I've had guys apologize. Oh, really? Yeah. And actually be like, oh my God, I thought I was just being friendly. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, that's actually really offensive. And here's why. (laughs) And then they were like, I never thought of it that way. So sometimes people just really don't realize it. Yeah, I think a lot of them don't realize it. But still. That's why it needs to be explained to them. My sassier answer that I used more was something like, I'm sorry, I'm not smiling for you. I was thinking about fill in the blank worldwide catastrophe. But then what happened, the reason that I ended up moving over to the Galleria is that I almost got into a fist fight with a guy. You did? Yeah. Oh, my God. Because he um, came up to me and was, like, really basically told me, like, that he wanted to, like, do something sexual to me. Uh And I said... Oh, right. Well, let me give you my phone number now. (laughs) I'm so turned on. This Mm -hmm. is just the best way to approach. You know, I was like being like very upfront, like no fucking way, dude. You're not talking to me that way. And then uh, then he started throwing pennies at me. What? Yeah. And so I picked up the pennies and I walked over to him and I fucking threw him in, right in his face. Uh-huh. And then he lunged at me. <gasps> oh, my God. And I just, like, fucking got crazy mm-hmm. I wasn't. <laughs> I was not out of control, but I can make myself look like I'm a fucking mad person. <laughs> and um, my boss was there. He was at the pretzel shop mm-hmm. that was, like right by the cart and he saw what was happening he ran out he i like to imagine he dropped his pretzel but i don't really know if that happens (laughs) and he grabbed me (laughs) nicely of course and Mm -hmm. he whipped me around uh so that the guy was lunging at him and not at me and then as soon as my boss showed up of course that guy being the brave soul that he is, his penis shriveled up into his body (laughs) and he walked away because he was like, Oh no, there's a guy here now. I'm scared of men. He can only pick on college girls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So after that, my boss was like, Hey Holly, uh, what do you think about, uh, going over to work at the Galleria? Cause, um, I feel like you almost just punched a guy out and I, I'm kind of worried about your safety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Wow. I'm ready to be done here. 
gosh. Um, okay, so then I go over to the Galleria. Mm-hmm. Never had one person say anything to me. Hmm. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Those are my stories in the kiosk in the mall. (laughs) Oh, that job was a great job to have in college. Howard and Christy, were we talking about a movie? I know. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, they're having an affair, blah, blah, blah. And then she uses, he wants her to spy on the new guy, Mm -hmm. Watson or whatever, who's actually... Brantley's alter ego, and so she steals some of his files, but this is before she falls in love with him, but mm-hmm. after they fall in love, he finds out she stole his files, and then everything explodes, but then they make up. They do a lot of kissing, and I just want to say that, like, I feel like this movie made me hate movie kisses even more. They kiss a lot, and it's uncomfortable. I agree. I'm so glad that you brought this up, because I have this thing. Okay, so they... so. Uh, Christy and Brantley, they pull an all-nighter where they, like, have fun all night, right? And they don't kiss till morning. Ew, morning breath. They have been out all night. Mm-hmm. They had Chinese food for dinner the night before. Always Chinese food. That's his thing. He always will order Chinese <laughs> food. He's like, we're going to be working late. Get some Chinese food. And he never says, like, what kind. It's like, that's not... You have to place an order, sir. You don't have to I know. Call the restaurant. And be like, can I have some Chinese food? Anyway. <laughs> okay, so that's the other thing that connects in with the montage belief system that I had <laughs> is that you get Chinese food when you work hard. Yeah, and you have to eat it out of the cartons with chopsticks, and everyone gets their own carton. I always love that because, like, my family, you know, you just get a bunch of things and everyone shares. Mm-hmm. We never had, like, our own cartons. But in movies, that's what they always do. You don't do mm-hmm. anything family style when you're living the corporate dream. It's all mine. That's right. <laughs> this it is mine. <laughs> I could never narrow it down to one item, though, if I were ordering Chinese. Mm-hmm. I need, like, Mm-mm. multiple things to be, like, I'm having a giant carton of lo mein. I mean, I need, like, a little of this, a little of that. Can I just tell you my favorite scene really fast? Yeah, totally. So when they're having the, like, big party and Vera is taking Brantley around to introduce him to all the rich guys that will later help save him, um, there's this one older guy, and he's always got this cute little chihuahua with him. <laughs> Brantley goes to pet the chihuahua <laughs> And it like bites, it goes, and it tries to bite him and the guy that's holding him. And it was so funny because it was like real, you know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't train the dog to do that. And then later you see that Brantley's holding the chihuahua. Yeah. He won over the chihuahua just like he did everyone else. Yeah. He's Michael J. Fox. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) That was my favorite. So whenever everybody finds out that Brantley has been carrying on as two completely different people, he tries to act like he just has a lot of names. <laughs> and it led to my favorite quote of the movie, which is, my monogram looks like an eye chart. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Did you have a favorite quote? Um. Yes. Okay, so... It's when Howard is trying to tell them about, like, the big meeting that they're going to have at their country house over the weekend. 
And then Vera, of course, wants Brantley to come. Mm-hmm. And Brantley doesn't want to come because then he's going to get busted that he's been having this alter ego. And so he's like, oh, Uncle Howard, I really don't know. I just work in the mailroom. I don't think I'll fit in. And then Vera's like, but you do fit in, Brantley. <laughs> in a sexual way. <laughs> that. <laughs> I love Vera. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely the best. I don't really remember her from any other 80s movies, but she seemed familiar. Okay, she looks like the love child between Bette Midler mm-hmm. and someone else. Yeah, I kept thinking of some other actress, but I couldn't think of who. And I'm like, who is this woman? I need to look her up. Yeah. If all you listeners out there, if you can figure out Vera's other parentage besides Bette Midler, <laughs> let yeah. us know at Cover Your Eyes Podcast at gmail.com. Please. <laughs> yeah, definitely some Bette Midler with that hair. Um, that hair looked like how my hair turned out in junior high when I tried to get the cute short haircut. <laughs> it just turned into like a pyramid of curls. I remember yeah. that haircut and I remember your disappointment. And I was like, man, <laughs> oh well. it doesn't look bad. You You thought it looked worse than it did, I'm pretty sure. It made me think, it was one of those times where I was first aware of Maybe whenever I was like freaking out about something with my appearance that maybe I was like overblowing it because I felt like the way you thought your hair looked was like way worse than what it actually looked like. Mm -hmm. So I was like, huh, well, if this is happening to Sarah, maybe it's happening to me. (laughs) (laughs) And every other girl... Especially in junior high. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, question. What about, like, um, have you ever given up on your dream and used that round trip ticket back home? Ooh, what about that? Good. I like that. I like that okay. phrasing. Yeah. It's sad, but we'll be sympathetic yeah. if you have a story like that. Share totally. it with us. Yeah. And also, failure is what happens on your way to success. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's beautiful, Holly. <laughs> okay, so tell us your story at podcast at gmail.com. If you have maybe suggestions, tell us there too. If you have your own specific memories of this movie, share them with us. Uh, also at podcast at gmail.com. And if you've ever had an affair with the boss or the boss's wife, what happened? I'd rather hear that story, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Scratch the other story. (laughs) We only want the salacious details around here. (laughs) (laughs) Write to us at coveryourizepodcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. And um oh if you like the show, please mm-hmm. rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, and quickly, like I mentioned last night, um this is a new thing that I'm proposing. Yes. So we recorded the last episode, um, She Devil that I watched at my grandma's house. 
And she gave me a bunch and she keeps giving me a bunch of romance novels. I'm saying that if you give us a five-star review, I will send you one of these romance novels. Yes. By BJ Daniels. <laughs> I don't know how raunchy they are. I hope they're not. I am afraid to look in them. <laughs> I don't want to associate them with my grandma in any way. So I haven't even looked inside. <laughs> Oh, wow. But I have about 12 of them, I think, at this point. So, yeah, I'm happy to share them. (laughs) Spread the love. All right. Yes. Anything else? Um, You can always support us on Patreon. We're going to be talking about werewolves and Sweet Valley High. Maybe werewolves in Sweet Valley High. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's action-packed over at our patreon thank you anyway whether you do any of that stuff or you just listen exactly we're just happy to have you Mm -hmm. anything else i don't think so okay all right see you next tuesday yeah bye bye